Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. Episode 2 on Bordeaux focuses on Merlot. And the reason I'm starting with Merlot rather than Cabernet Sauvignon is because Merlot is the most planted grape variety in Bordeaux. In fact, it's the most planted grape variety in France. Not surprising given that Bordeaux is France's largest appellation. And then there's also quite a bit of Merlot planted in Languedoc, which is the largest growing region in France. So a significant grape variety in terms of quantity but also in terms of quality. And Merlot can be made in all sorts of uh, price ranges and quality ranges. So from inexpensive, uh, quite simple wine to some of the most expensive and highly regarded wine in the world, for example, in Saint-Emilion and Pomerol, and then all stages in between. And of course, it's also an important grape variety for blending. And so it is grown on the left bank, even though that's more famous for Cabernet Sauvignon, because historically it's difficult to get Cabernet Sauvignon fully ripe. There's no guarantee that that will happen. And so Merlot was planted as a backup because it ripens two weeks earlier than Cabernet Sauvignon. So you'd have that insurance in difficult vintages that you'd still be able to have uh, Merlot to work with and maybe uh, beef up the blend. And still today, even though um, climate is generally warmer and there's also a greater understanding of how to get Cabernet Sauvignon ripe and how to work with it, there's still plenty of Merlot planted in the left bank um, in Medoc and also in Grave, perhaps a bit more in Grave than Medoc. And you're going to find Merlot as part of the blend in all sorts of um, quality ranges, whether it's just kind of inexpensive to mid-price Grave or some of the... uh, Cru Classe in Poyac or Saint-Julien or Margot, for instance. But those plantings have changed, and there's less Merlot than maybe 20 years ago because of a greater understanding of soil types. So Merlot is perfectly suited to clay and limestone soils, and we'll look at that when we look at the right bank, which is where Merlot is most famous. The left bank is more famous for its gravel soils, and we'll talk about that in the next episode when we look at Cabernet Sauvignon. Because Cabernet Sauvignon is well suited to the gravel soils because it helps get Cabernet fully ripe. So those gravel soils are warm soils, whereas clay and limestone are cooler soils. And also they retain more water, especially if there's more clay. And Merlot needs water in a way that Cabernet Sauvignon does not. And so Merlot thrives on those clay limestone soils with the limestone draining the water, but the clay retaining some of the water so that Merlot can access it. And on the left bank, there are pockets of these clay limestone soils, which are really important. And producers have realised that planting Merlot on these soils is ideal for Merlot, whereas Cabernet Sauvignon should always be on the gravel soils. So just different needs for the vine. So for instance, I was in Bordeaux recently, and I visited a producer in Pessac Lyonien, and we walked around the vineyards. And the first vineyard we went to was uh, clay-heavy soil. In fact, it was waterlogged because it's February. Or a small part of it was waterlogged because it's February. And that's where Merlot was planted, on those clay soils. The vineyard manager was just raving about how good the Merlot was that this plot of land produced. And then we walked a few hundred metres to another section of the vineyard. And that was all gravel. And you could see the gravel on top of the vineyard. It's very apparent. And that's where Cabernet Sauvignon was grown. So very close to each other. And he was saying that 20 years ago, they didn't know really which grape varieties they should be planting where. They kind of knew Cabernet should be on the gravel, but less so about the Merlot. And now they've really worked, reworked the vineyard to reflect where those grape varieties should be planted. And that has seen a general increase in quality in the left bank across across the board because of better um, relationship between grape varieties and soils. So quite a few changes in the vineyard in Bordeaux 
and Merlot hasn't always been planted in Bordeaux. Up until um, Phylloxera, there were lots of different grape varieties uh, planted across Bordeaux, uh, but Merlot really uh, came into dominance throughout the late 19th century and then into the 20th century, and then Bordeaux became more associated with red wine rather than white wine from the 1970s onwards. Merlot was the grape that was widely planted because it's a little easier to work with with that earlier ripening. But it's not completely easy. Um, it can be susceptible to spring frost because it buds earlier than um, Cabernet Sauvignon. So that can be an issue in some years. And also the fruit doesn't always set evenly. And so couleur can be a problem resulting in millerandage when you have veraison, you have grapes which are just the right size and turn colour, but then you can have really underripe grapes which just haven't set, and so that can be an issue with Merlot. But it does ripen earlier than Cabernet Sauvignon, so that's why it's a huge advantage. And the styles of wine it produces also are kind of quite fleshy and plump and uh, ripe. Alcohol can be quite high, so you can see in Pomerol wines as high as 15% alcohol if you're really getting that full ripeness on the ideal sites. Uh, so that's just adding some nice fruitiness and alcohol to a blend, as well as uh, aromas of plums. Acidity and tannins aren't too high, probably not as high as Cabernet Sauvignon, but it still has a good acidic tannic structure. And that all depends uh, what sills the grapes are planted on, with a really perfect blend of clay and limestone. When the fruit is picked, how, fruit, how ripe it gets, how the yields are managed as well is going to be important. So really about the final price of the wine. And of course, the style of the wine depends on winemaking as well, whether new oak has been used and how much new oak has been used in aging. So obviously for an expensive Bordeaux, there's going to be little new oak, or it might even be oak replacement like chips, oak chips. Whereas for an expensive uh, Merlot-based wine, lots of new oak may be used. Uh, to give that wine an ageability. In general, Merlot is considered not to be as ageable as Cabernet Sauvignon, so even the best wines of Centimillion and Pomerol are much more approachable when young than Cabernet Sauvignon-based wines from the left bank, which can be quite austere and tannic and take a decade or so to open up. Pomerol you could be drinking within five years, and then the wines will continue to mature as you would expect. So let's look at the different appellations which have Merlot as their dominant base. Uh, so basic Bordeaux, inexpensive Bordeaux, is quite likely to be Merlot dominant. A lot of that is going to be planted in the Entre-de-Mer appellation, which is the centre of Bordeaux, between the Dordogne and Garonne rivers. Uh, Entre-de-Mer is a white wine only appellation, and that goes back to the fact when these appellations were created in the 1930s, Bordeaux uh, made more white wine than it did red, and so Entre-de-Mer was simply a white-only appellation. But over the last 40 to 50 years, a lot of those plantings of Semillon in particular have been um, changed to, to Merlot for red wine. So a lot of the plantings on Entre-de-Mer, in fact the dominant percentage of plantings, is Merlot and other black grape varieties. But it will not be labelled Entre-de-Mer, it will be labelled Bordeaux or Bordeaux Supérieur. And Bordeaux Superior is just um, indicating that the grapes were picked at a greater ripeness than basic Bordeaux, and so there's higher potential alcohol. So if you can get higher alcohol, that means there's more sugar in the grapes, means the grapes are riper, and it's going to be more um, aromatic complexity, more depth and structure to the wines, but still in the inexpensive to mid-priced category. But where Merlot really comes into its own is the right bank, which is on the banks of the river Dordogne, which comes in from Bergerac uh, through Bordeaux and then meets the Garonne and the Gironde estuary, and then flows out into the Atlantic Ocean. And there's a cluster of 10 appellations on the right bank, all Merlot dominant. 
And these can be quite different from, well, they're different in many ways from the left bank. But one thing is that the left bank is almost never 100% Cabernet Sauvignon because you always have that those other grapes as a backup. Maybe that will change with climate change, but historically that's the case. Whereas on the right bank, you can get 100% Merlot because it ripens earlier, the alcohol is high, the need for blending isn't as important. But generally, there is still going to be some Cabernet Franc in the wine. So you can have 100% Merlot, but often it's more 80% Merlot, 20% Cabernet Franc. And there's a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon grown on the right bank as well, but it is very difficult to get those grapes ripe. And it's only really where there are some gravelly soils um, interspersed with the clay limestone soils which dominate on the right bank, where Cabernet Sauvignon might get ripe. And again, with climate change, maybe a little bit more will be planted and a bit more experimentation. So on the right bank, 10 appellations, 10% of Bordeaux production, so pretty small, 12,000 hectares planted. So another difference from the Medoc is that the estates here are a lot smaller than on the left bank. A history of smaller producers rather than big businesses in villages like Santa Milion. It does have a long history. The Camino de Santiago um, actually passes through Santa Milion. There's different routes that start in France before going into Spain. And um, this is this was on one of them. So a lot of pilgrims went through Santa Milion, which uh, built up its reputation. But then it really um, kind of fell, and Phylloxera were hit as well. It's only really in the 20th century that these appellations, particularly Santa Milion and Pomerol, have become extremely famous. So let's start with Santa Milion, a beautiful village, which is, as I mentioned, directly on one of the paths for the Camino de Santiago. Renaissance in the 20th century and um, whose wines have really become much more expensive in the last 20 to 30 years, and the land has become more expensive as a result, so highly sought-after wines. Santamillion is the only appellation on the right bank which has a classification system, which is a little confusing and quite controversial. So 40% of the wine of Santamillion is actually labelled Grand Cru, which is its own appellation. So it's not actually a classification as such, it's an appellation within Santamillion. And there are hundreds of wines in uh, Santa Milan, labelled Grand Cru, so it doesn't always indicate uh, a particular tier of quality. A lot of wines qualify for this level, which should be good quality. The Grand Cru doesn't signify um, a world-class wine, so it's quite broad. But then where the classifications really do indicate quality is in the Grand Cru, the Premier Gru Grand Classé, which is quite confusing. And there are two levels here, the A and the B. And so the A, is, uh, there are four Premier Gru Grand Classé A, Cheval Blanc, Osson, Angelus, and Pavie. And then there are 64 um, Premier Grand Cru Classé B. So it's a number of those as well. Those should be very good, expensive wines. And of course, wines like Cheval Blanc, Osson, and Angelus, and Pavie are legendary and extremely important, and of course, extremely expensive. But these classifications are controversial for a number of reasons. One is that they change every 10 years, which in theory is a good thing. But of course, if anyone gets declassified, they protest, and so the 06 classification was never um, actually brought into effect because there were so many legal challenges. But the 2012 classification, which is the latest one, was, was legally more watertight, so was not challenged. And so that's actually stood. Another controversial aspect is that tourism and marketing are part of the award for a Grand Cru. And so having a car park, having tourist facilities, a tasting room, a good marketing campaign are actually part of the consideration for whether to be a Grand Cru or not, which is 
A little strange, understand that they want to promote the region and have tourists come to it, but having that as part of the classification is a little unusual. So Santamilion is all about its soil types. And so it's on the um, banks of the river Dordogne, and on the south of the Appalachian, near the river, it's quite sandy, and the wines there are lighter, and you don't see um, much concentration of production there, because it's not really the, the powerful wines that we would associate with Santamilion. But then you move up towards the slopes, or the coat, towards the village, you have um, the soils become... Um, harder with the Malasta Francaisie soils and then harder limestone on the plateau, which is a clay-rich topsoil as well. So it's the perfect combination of limestone and clay, which is ideal for Merlot with the balance between water retention and water drainage. And then kind of separate to the rest of Saint-Emilion, to the northwest of the village, bordering Pomerol, the soils are sandy, but there's gravel mounds, and that's where really high-quality wine can be produced from producers like Cheval Blanc and also neighbouring Chateau Figiac. That's in the west of the Appalachian, right next to Pomerol. All that divides Cheval Blanc from Pomerol is a very small road. In fact, Cheval Blanc is less than a kilometre from Petrus. And because these soils um, have more gravel in them, the Cabernet Franc uh, works here as well, and even Cabernet Sauvignon to a certain extent, well suited to these soils. So Cheval Blanc is very heavy in Cabernet Franc, can be 50-50 Merlot Cabernet Franc. Another Grand Cru Classe A, Pavi, is to the east of the Appalachian on those south-facing slopes. And these slopes are perfect for winemaking, which is why the concentration of uh, wine production in Saint-Emilion is on these slopes, south-facing slopes around the village. So they provide shelter from the north and the west, some immunity from frost, which can be an issue with Merlot, so that's that's good, and ideal sun exposure. So getting the grapes ripe is not an issue uh, around the village of Saint-Emilion. And then the other Grand Cru Classe A, Oson, is just um, south of the village um, of Saint-Emilion. You can actually, if you visit the cellar, which is hewn out of the limestone soils, you can actually see the roots of the vines growing. And then between Cheval Blanc to the west and Oson Pavi around the village of Saint-Emilion, the soils are a mixture of limestone, clay and sand, and the wines have less intensity, but more finesse, arguably. Um, so a bit more difficult to produce the really high quality, luxurious, fruity wines of Saint-Emilion. So a real concentration around the village of Saint-Emilion, and then uh, to the west of the Appalachian, next to Pomerol. To the east of Saint-Emilion, there are four satellite Appalachians. Montagna, Lusac, Puisquin, and San George, which all kind of attach their name to Santamillion, so kind of getting some kudos due to the fame of the Santamillion name. And these are like a rustic cross between Santamillion and Bergerac, which these Appalachians are, are bordering. But there is some clay limestone soil in these satellites, and so there can be some very good value alternatives to Santamillion if you know where to look. And some investment here as well by producers who um, see that soil and think they can work with it. And then there are a couple of uh, Côte de Bordeaux appellations. So Côte de Bordeaux is a, there's five different appellations which are all grouped together to give some kind of um, order and stability to them. But they do produce distinctive styles of wine. And over here, uh, there's Castillon and Franc, Côte de Bordeaux. And Castillon is the most interesting because this is an extension of Saint-Emilion. Uh, by the river, there's alluvial soils, but moving up from the river, the best sites are on hilly ground with limestone and clay soils, so quite similar to how Saint-Emilion works. It is a little bit cooler because we're further inland. So in general, the right bank is cooler than the left bank, which is another reason why Merlot works better than Cabernet Sauvignon. And Castillon's right to the east of the Appalachian, so cooler here. But as climate change comes into effect, that can actually be a good thing. So an, an Appalachian to look out for. 
Going west from Saint-Emilion, we immediately go into Pomerol, where there's just 800 hectares and 140 producers. So it's a small appellation, and its reputation as a world-class um, appellation is quite recent. It only begins really in the 1930s, 1940s, when Jean-Pierre Mouille, who owns uh, Petrus, moved in in 1930s. So he's a merchant, saw some potential in the area, and since then it's become more and more famous. And then uh, Jacques Tiempon bought La Pan in the 1980s, and that again is a very famous um, name. And so these wines are some of the most expensive wines in Bordeaux, and therefore the world. Merlot is dominant, and again, like Saint-Emilion, the wines could be 100% Merlot, they're usually 80% Merlot with Cabernet Franc, maybe a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon. And Pomerol is a plateau, which um, kind of successfully falls in a series of valleys towards the River Ile, which is a tributary of the Dordogne, just flowing north out of the Dordogne. And that plateau to the east of the Appalachians, bordering Saint-Emilion, has compact clay, which is um, quite difficult for the vines to access water because it's quite thick. And this produces dense, fleshy, opulent wines. Whereas near the town of Le Bourne, to the south, the wines are less concentrated because the sand is sandy and light because it's nearer the river. So it's really that plateau in Pomerol which produces these world-class, really fleshy, opulent, voluptuous, Merlot-based wines. Then just um, beyond Pomerol is Lalande Pomerol, which is in effect an extension of the plateau, uh, just, but it's just the other side of the river Barban. And so this can be a very good value alternative to Pomerol. The wines are a fraction of the price. Probably less high quality, less vivid, less bright, less, less full, less fleshy, but still um, a good value alternative. And there has been some investment in Lalande Pomerol, which is really raising quality. So definitely an appellation to look out for. So for example, Angelus, the Saint-Emilion producer, have invested in La Fleur de Bois, and then Latour own uh, Chateau Sioux-Rac. And there's a handful of other producers, invest, really good producers investing in the appellation too. Um, so definitely worth looking out for. Moving further west to Fronzac and Canon Fronzac, which are a little bit separate a little bit their own thing. And back in the 18th century, these were considered the best wines of the Le Bourne. The right bank is also called Le Bonnet, or named after Le Bourne, which is the port town of the area, which is a huge rival to Bordeaux, but Bordeaux itself kind of won as the port. But these areas all based around Le Bourne. Fronzac and Canon Fronzac. There are two appellations, which is quite confusing. Canon Fronzac is right in the middle of Fronzac, and is pretty tiny. Fronzac was created in 1937, and there are seven villages, including Fronzac, within the appellation. Then Canon Fronzac was created two years later in 1939. And these um, are seen as distinctive from Fronzac because there are limestone slopes along the Dordogne River, theoretically superior, but it's pretty hard to tell the difference. So it wouldn't make a lot more sense just to combine the two appellations. So within this, uh, these appellations, they actually have the highest point in Bordeaux, 89 metres, so a really high elevation indication of those slopes rising up from the Dordogne, so it's quite flat along the river and then it's quite woody at the top. The best um, vineyards are going to be a little bit higher up on the slopes for exposure, also for the limestone soils. These these vineyards lie between the Dordogne and the Ile and create its own microclimate to produce wines which are quite fruity, they're Merlot-based, but more tannic than the wines of Saint-Emilion or Pomerol, so quite interesting in that, in a different structure. But they are also a bit more rustic, a bit more old-fashioned. Whereas the uh, trend in Pomerol and Saint-Emilion 
in the 90s, led by consultants like Michel Rolland or Stefan Derancourt, was for higher alcohol, more extracted wines, very fleshy and plush, and high in alcohol. Trend now is to be a bit more restrained. But Fronzac and Conan Fronzac didn't really move with those trends. They're kind of being the same as they always have been, which makes them a bit rustic. But maybe uh, that will change as if attention goes towards these appellations, as they should, because they present very good value. And there has been some Chinese investment. Uh, La Riviere and Richelieu are uh, two chateaux that Chinese investors have bought. And here there's not quite as much Merlot. It's 60% Merlot, and that's on the clay and limestone soils. 15% Cabernet Franc on limestone or sand, and then 10% Cabernet Sauvignon on soils which are well exposed and they're a mixture of clay and sand or clay and limestone. It's a little bit more, bit more Cabernet than elsewhere on the right bank. So 10 appellations, but lots of different soil types and lots of different expressions of Merlot. Centimillion and Pomerol, really the center of focus and high prices, but then surrounded by some very good value, interesting appellations, which really um, people should look out for as alternatives to Centimillion and Pomerol as those wines become more and more expensive and also the land becomes more expensive for investment. So that's Merlot and the Right Bank. Thank you for listening. I'm Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.